This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Judd. Judd, now with dinner special beers. Looking to impress your lady, but you're low on funds? Try the chicken parm Judd or steak and onion Judd. Set the mood with a tomatoey base ale. Really win her over. Judd, drink it. Dungeons and Dragons podcast. A haven for all things nerdy and dungeonous. Enjoy. I want to give a big old tavern welcome to all you enemies and friends, friends and foes, and all you abominable men who are made of snow. Uh, my name is Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm coming at you live, fast, energetic, and kind of tired on this Thursday night with my friend Rygra. A growl. Um, so anyway... Uh, this episode of the podcast is going to be a little bit different than the other ones because we're going to take a little bit of approach where we don't look so much at rules, mechanics, and the flavor of the game, but instead look at the hobby overall and address, I guess, something of a... Uh, I don't think it's really been too much of a rift in the hobby, but I think it's something that comes up enough in some circles of the hobby that it deserves to be talked about. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about two subjects, and one of them being uh, the... I guess I'd say the, the, the major topic here is that D&D as a hobby and role-playing games are becoming so much more popular in the major social sphere. And a lot of people account this to shows like, you know, Big Bang Theory or, or Stranger Things for bringing D&D to the spotlight. But I think a lot of it honestly has to do with the marketing of D&D lately and 5th edition being a great example of a simplified role-playing game system working great for bringing new players in. But the whole point of this episode is that I want to talk about how things are changing in the hobby, and it's not a bad thing. And I want to say that the two major topics we'll talk about are, I guess, the role of video game. Uh, uh, I guess I'd say video-based D and D games and podcast-based, and just the idea of like D and D games for mass consumption. Uh, and I also want to talk about inclusivity in the hobby. So uh, to begin with, I listen to a few podcasters that talk a lot about D&D, and I'm really inspired by a lot of those guys. But recently, I've become kind of a bit dismayed by a lot of what I hear. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, people keep things very polite, keep, thing, keep things very, you know, orderly, and nobody likes to get a little, uh, a little too offensive when they talk about it. But people in the hobby have been talking a bit lately about how the hobby is changing, and it's becoming much more of a popular game, and lots of people are playing it. I mean... You know, nothing for nothing, but Ryan, when did you start playing? Uh, last year, right? In the spring? Right. Yeah. right. And a lot of our friends, most of the people who come out on the podcast, all started about last year or so, and they pretty much started with me. And so the idea of people coming to the hobby new is not problematic. A lot of people out there complain that they just don't like this influx of new players, and they say that it's sort of overpopularizes the game and it makes the game way too normalized and it makes it kind of too available to the normies. And so 
I mean, one, I hate that word normie more than anything. I feel like that is just the most, like, incel term I've ever heard in my life. And it's like, nothing makes you sound like more of a pud than trying to list yourself as... Because nobody says normie as if they are a normie. People only say normie when they're trying to, like, put people down, right? Right. I I feel like... (laughs) Give it another five, seven years. It'll be the new weeaboo. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) But, um... But people complain a bit about how the hobby is becoming a little bit more inclusive. And, I mean, people don't say that outright, but, you know, when you look between the lines and people are talking about new players coming to the hobby and they talk about how things are, quote-unquote, with an agenda or they're, quote-unquote, politically correct, I mean, it's not hard to see what they're trying to say without so many words. At the end of the day, they're talking about how they don't like the influx of of, you know, atypical, you know, nerdy gamers. We They don't like the idea. I mean, think about how many people had a problem with women joining the hobby. And I know it sounds like that's impossible to even imagine. As a gamer of, you know, the 21st century, it, it's not hard to think to yourself, like, well, I've played plenty of games with women. Of course women are part of the hobby. Like, that's kind of kooky to think of anybody who would have a problem with having a girl at the table. But there's still people today who have a huge problem with it, you know? People quote Gary Gygax all the time as being sort of like the original gamer, like the great gamer who gave us the gift of D&D. But in reality, like, he himself is a bit of a misogynist prick, you know? And, like, I don't mean to throw shade at a dead guy and, you know, all respect given to a guy who brought us this hobby and without it, you know, we wouldn't have anything we enjoy. But, you know, I mean, he had a rule system for how women would naturally have lower stats than men in the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, there's a footnote in the original book that said that women would retire earlier than men to go take care of families. And so I'm not saying that he's not a great guy, but I'm saying that there is a bit of a history in this hobby of certain people kind of calling the shots on who's quote-unquote allowed to play in the game, you know? And so, I don't know, I guess I want to start off by asking, Ryan, since you're kind of new to the hobby, have you ever experienced people with that attitude at all? Sort of elitism in gamers or like people in in the hobby sort of pushing other people away based on things like i don't know their gender or orientation or anything like that um not in games that i've played in person but i do uh frequent online forums and image boards and stuff like that where that kind of thinking is pretty prevalent really like where uh the traditional games board on uh 4chan can get pretty bad. I was going to say, I mean, you didn't have to go any yeah. further than 4chan, but yeah. I mean, they're a polite enough group as far as 4chan is concerned, but they they still have their definitely their tendencies towards a certain kind of thinking that's not really good for anybody. Right, and that's the thing, is like, I don't want to come off in this podcast as sounding like yeah, I, I'm using the term quote-unquote everywhere trying to like save my ass from sounding stupid, but like I don't want to sound quote unquote like I'm I'm preaching to a certain group in order to get followers or listens or subscribers or anything like that. Like I just honestly, as a human being, as a person, as a person living in a society who recognizes that as a DM I provide sort of a product, a performance to other people, like I recognize that having that kind of mentality is just it's just it harms people you know it's just not nice it's just not a good way to be you know i mean i work with little kids but like i don't feel like i should have to tell adults that that's not nice you know but that's the problem is how much are how are we as a society supposed to police people in their hobby how much are we supposed to tell people in small select groups 
like you know on a forum on 4chan hidden away in the in the you know nestled corner of the internet how much are we supposed to police that belief system and it's like a part of me wants to say not at all because D&D is one of those awesome game systems that's not, you know, some online game that's policed by moderators and admins and comes with sort of like a, a component list of, you know, you can't play when they shut a server down. Like, D&D belongs to the players who play it. It exists within our minds, and even if we didn't have books, we'd come up with rule systems for it, you know? So, for me to say that any group plays it wrong or picks their group wrong, it's, that's, I think, me outstepping my boundaries as a player. But I think as a moral agent, as a person in society, it's my due diligence to, I don't know, make it a point that I don't approve of it. And I think it's, I don't know, just genuinely pretty shitty. You know, I just don't feel like there's any reason for people to feel that way. But this is the part where I start to empathize with those people because I think behind any hateful belief from a group that seems to be like sort of reasonable in what they're doing there's always some level that can be reached of understanding through empathy. So I guess I would say I think that a lot of those people who say that stuff are players who really love the game, and they're people who take the game very seriously. Would you say, Ryan, that the people on there probably... Oh, like, yeah, is, absolutely. Right. Yeah. It, it's I mean, lifeblood. Yeah. It's something they are extremely passionate about. I think it's just... Something that they have a hard time, or they have a hard time coming to terms with the idea that other people can be just as passionate about it in a completely different way, and it's not diluting their passion. It's not taking away from the way they feel anyway, and so it's never gonna outright harm them, no matter how much fluff or whatever they change in the player's handbook. It's not gonna change the way you make a character. It can't. It, that's the way the game works so yeah I, I think that their passion can sometimes lead them to believe that there is a certain way that the game should be played and introducing other things more modern political correctness to it is outside of those bounds and it's not and it never has been the game has been changing over all these years and introducing newer more modern ideas along with it yeah and i would almost say that uh, the game works really interestingly not to get like too collegiate and adjust my glasses that i don't have over here but the game works really well as sort of a medium to kind of analyze society depending on what edition came out and what fluff books and what the game looked like and who played it like you can tell a lot about the society that plays the game based on the game you know and so it's interesting to see how different fifth edition is from fourth and third and stuff um but in some ways how it's never really changed and i i think you bring up a good point that like you know at the end of the day like i i mean wow, I don't want to go down this route, but it's almost like the books are kind of like a gun. And the, the idea that it's like, I mean, a gun doesn't do anything. It's when the gun hits somebody's hand that it can become a potentially dangerous thing. But the games aren't dangerous in any way, so it's not really like a gun, you know? It's just the idea that, like, you know, the group that happens to be playing the game have all the ability in the world to, I don't know, start a video, a video series of whites only D&D. Like, that could be a thing, you know? So do we blame the game system for that? Like, no, you know, like the games really don't do anything. It's just the players who are so passionate and driven to, 
I don't know, just enjoy themselves in a certain way. I don't, I don't really know how to put it, but it just feels like the system has nothing to do with it. And if this was GURPS or if this was, I don't know, Call of Cthulhu or whatever, like people would still behave this way. And I just, I guess my level of empathy to these people goes to the point that I recognize, and I feel completely like this. I mean, I started a fucking podcast for D&D that, you know, it's fledgling, it doesn't have many people, but I had a passion for the game. I keep going with it, and I keep inviting people, and I keep playing, and I'll probably be playing this game till I die. But the point is, is that, which is probably next week, because, you know, energy mm. drinks, man, uh, and KFC, uh, hashtag KFC. Um... The thing I was trying to say before I interrupted myself and completely lost my train of thought. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> I lost my spot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but no, I mean, my point is is that, like, I get it. I love the hobby. I love the game. And the game is so close to me. I remember my first game group being my cousin and my sister. And I was 12 years old. And I think they were 9 and 8. And for some reason, which I still don't know... I took my first communion money that I had and saved up, and I went out to Toys R Us, if you remember Toys R Us, hashtag Toys R Us, um, and I bought the starter set for 3.5, and I went home, and I didn't read the rules because it was confusing and difficult, and I played with my little sister and my cousin, and I made a little dungeon on Microsoft Paint, and I sent them through it, and they fought a Minotaur, and somehow survived it at level one with just two guys. It was, I mean, it was a 13-year-old's <laughs> game, you know? But the point is, is that, like, I love this game. I've gotten older with this game. I have learned to be a man, to be a person, to be a thinking being with this game along with me for the ride. So when people come to the hobby new and they come and they start to threaten what I hold to be D&D in my mind, I get it. I understand how that can be kind of scary because, you know, I as a person kind of exist in a way through my games and through D&D, like a fragment of myself is my memories of playing the game. So I get it when people who have a certain political belief, you know, have people of a contrarian belief to their own, like come into the hobby and all of a sudden become super popular. Like I get where somebody might feel a sense of, I don't know, like almost an invasive species coming into their garden, you know, coming in and polluting what they hold to be, you know, their crops. So I, I get it. But see, this is the problem is I can understand it, but that does not mean that it's okay, and it does not mean that it should continue. And, you know, I'm not going to name names of podcasters, but I will say that there's a certain community of OSR players out there who have some pretty strong beliefs about this. And no matter how often they say, you know, I'm not going to get political, by spouting this stuff and openly calling out people like Matt Mercer and other people in the, uh, you know, I guess the video side of D&D, the, the popularized and like mass consumption D&D games, when you call them out as having a quote-unquote political agenda that you're forcing onto the players, players of the game, I just, you know, there's some things there you got to work out. And I genuinely feel bad for people like them because there are a lot of really great new people coming to the hobby with a new approach, a new outlook. I mean, even thinking of somebody like Ryan who came to the hobby, again, like around a year ago. I still remember your first time playing the game with us. You know, I believe you played 4th edition, like one game. A few times. Like a few yeah, years ago, right? Times. So it's like, you know, but when you first came to really play D&D and get into a group and really start a campaign, like, I remember, like, you approached the game differently than other players did at the table. You know, you approached it differently than Joel did, or Ben did, or my cousin did. Like, all these people approached the game differently. So by including more people in your, in your game group, by including more people in your hobby... 
you just enrich all that you have there. And so be it. If Ryan played the game in a way that I didn't like, I could always just tell him, I don't really think that we're going to match. I don't think that this game's going to work out for the two of us. We go our different ways. He doesn't take it too personally. I apologize like a normal, polite human being. And we go on with our lives. It's that easy. But for people to like openly say, well, they're ruining the hobby. They, they're screwing the hobby over. Like, it's just this real Neanderthalic-styled knuckle-dragger approach to the hobby, thinking that it's something to be owned, thinking it's something that belongs to you. And honestly, it's just, it's genuinely sad, and I feel bad for those people. But before I go too far ranting and raving about this, I do want to talk about how the concept of, of D&D meeting a video format is important to the hobby, and how it's brought in new players, and why it's different but it's really good, you know? But before we get into that, I'm gonna have to drop a, uh, one of our sponsors as a commercial for you, so stay tuned. Hi there, I'm Uncle Rusty from Uncle Rusty's Barbecue Emporium and Discount Weapon Exchange. I'm coming to you with a fantastic deal for all kinds of weapons you may be needing and any kind of weapon you didn't think you needed, but now you need it now. Highly flammable swords. No longer will you envy the flaming sword of the fighter or paladin in your group. And on that note, are you jealous of your wizard or sorcerer for having a familiar in the group? Well, fret no more, friend. Putting some of our state-of-the-line googly eyes upon your sword's hilt, and you'll have something quite familiar. Your friends will ask, hey, who's that guy? Why, it's my familiar sword. On that note, are you jealous of the dwarf with his fancy, magical throwing hammers? Well, fret no more, friend. Throw that hammer once. Forget about it. One-time use dwarfish throwing hammers. Also, on that note, are you tired of dropping your weapons? Try our new complimentary stand-of-the-line, super slippery, super sticky, super glue. Stick to your weapon, never drop it again. Heck, you'll never put it down. And all you fighters out there who are in need of something to improve your sparring game, tired of holding up your shield like a big baby and not seeing what's on the other side, readying yourself for a prepared attack that you weren't ready for? Well now, thanks to our state-of-the-line glass shields, you can always see your enemy. I watch my very. And now, straight from our weapon laboratory, a couple of ranged weapons that might set your ranger or archer into a tizzy. The roulette crossbow, six chambers, one bolt, where it stops, nobody knows. But does your bow-wielding Fletcher Fiend have trouble with finding the right-sized weapon for them? Perhaps they would turn to our new state-of-the-line extra short bow and extra long bow, built for half a person's use and two people's use. Come on down this weekend with promo code GOLDNARDY and get yourself a free plate of barbecue! And we're back. Uh, just wanted to say there's a couple of concerns about the quality of the food at uh, Uncle Rusty's Barbecue. So uh, barbecue with caution, everybody. But anyway, on to the next segment of the podcast episode. We're going to be talking about... Uh, popular YouTube and, and just general video series of people playing D&D and other various role-playing games, but I'm going to turn this bit of the podcast over to Ryan more so, because I know he's much more of a fan of them than I am. I, and I, I know he doesn't claim to be much of an expert. I'll claim that he's an expert, uh, and he's going to fall flat on his face about it, but... That'd be sweet. Yeah, it usually is. Um, 
but honestly, before we even get into it, I'm just going to vocalize that, frankly, I'm not a huge fan of them. I, I mean, I find some of them that I can get into. Um, Dungeon Run is a group that I find that I'm, I'm... I like those guys. I think they have a pretty cool pace. Sometimes I think they get a little bit too hung up in the voices of it all, but... You know, it's it's cool, it's cheeky, I, I like it enough, but for the most part, it's really not my style. And I think the whole point of this podcast is talking about the difference between not liking something or not including something in your games because of, you know, personal taste, and not including things because of sort of, you know, not so great reasons. But I think we should put some shine some light on, I guess I would say, the most popular aspect of the hobby, and that is these, these video series and these sort of community followings, following the shows, usually somehow revolving around Matt Mercer or the, uh, what's the other one there that you really like? Dimension 20. Yeah, that other huge one. But, uh, yeah, so could, I guess, I'd ask you, like, what would you say if you had to give a summary of what those are? Because, I mean, I'm guaranteed anybody listening to this podcast already knows what those are, but those, like, two people who don't know what those things are in in the listening to this podcast, could you tell them kind of a summary of, like, what those videos are? Not, like, the plot or anything, but, like, the general scheme of what those series are all about. Yeah, so, um, they're essentially just a group of players who happen to be either well-known actors, voice actors, comedians, that kind of thing, uh, who get together to play the game, and they sort of explore aspects of the game that you might not always be able to hit upon in a home game. Uh, There are better production values, stuff like that, so everything just feels more professional and in the moment, in character, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't actually have a ton of experience with a critical role or mm. that side of things, but I um, have been very into um, Dimension 20 with Brennan Lee Mulligan and the crew over at College Humor, as well as the side quests they did that brought in Matt Mercer along mm-hmm. with other big names in the um, D&D community. Um, I enjoy NADPod quite a bit, which is not another D&D podcast, which is in a video series, but... Uh, <laughs> which, ironically, is not another D&D podcast. Yeah. Uh, on a D&D... Anyway. And that's uh, really w- well done. Um, there's also The Adventure Zone, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar yeah. with. Honestly, I started listening to that quite a few years ago, and, uh, you know, that's another one that kind of turned me off, you know? And I, I, mm-hmm. I think the big place where people kind of either love it or hate it is the way that they handle the fact that it's not an at-home game where you and your friends have the opportunity to take a pause break the fact that you and your friends don't have an audience avidly watching or listening to you you right that's the big difference and i think people sort of are either turned on or turned off by the the fact that you know that you know the game's made in a way to be consumed i mentioned before the idea of games for mass consumption and i just feel like a lot of times things like Critical Role have such a following and so much going on for the plot like that that it's, you know, it just starts to feel like it's a TV show and it's not really D&D at its heart. It almost feels super scripted. But I will say that, you know, I mentioned this on a, on a previous episode, but uh, Critical Role in one episode, they got a huge bit of, a bit of flack for it, but one of the main characters died in a random encounter. You know, so as much as we want to say it's probably scripted, I find it hard to believe that they would script in a random encounter murder of a character. You know, that feels just a little bit off off in that regard. But, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that for anybody to write a consumable TV show, I don't think that they would, I mean, a, a sorry, video series, I don't think that they would include things like a TPK as part of the script unless it was, you know, 
made part of the plot. You know what I mean? Does anything like that happen? Or do you feel like if, if I told you that I had inside information for the College Humor gamers there, if I found out that everything was completely and utterly scripted and nobody actually ever rolled dice and actually took the value, they just had scripted values that they took, and everything was written specifically to flow the way it does, would you say that's kind of believable? Or would you say, like, there's no way? Um, I think specifically with Dimension 20, um, Brennan, Lee Mulligan, uh, the DM, GM there, he does, because they pre-make uh, a lot of the sets for the show before it comes out, because it is a very, very miniature-focused show, mm-hmm. um, whereas a lot of other um, podcasts and stuff do Theater of the Mind, because why would you bother showing it if you can't see it? Uh, Dimension 20 kind of sets itself apart with the high quality of its sets, minis, and everything else. Um, so they kind of have to have an idea of where the next combat's going to be uh, and all that, or else the sets they made aren't going to work or be introduced <laughs> and all that stuff, and so it's just total crapshoot um but i'd say besides the minor or i won't say minor but the railroading on that end where at the end of the day brennan needs to get the group from encounter right. to encounter right. um no i think that a lot of it is just free form improv and just role playing and you can see that in just a lot of minor characters that spring up or inside things that happen just the way the party reacts to different scenarios stuff like that um yes you saw it a lot in um blood keep i won't give away any spoilers but certain characters who were just throwaways become incredibly important important characters get completely thrown away stuff like that um and uh you actually find out that the entire end encounter had to be pretty much rewritten on the fly except for where it took place and the mechanics of that environment uh everything else that happened was completely uh just drawn up on the spot because the pcs just kind of didn't let it happen the way brennan thought or wanted it to go and i think that's what makes it pretty special is that like there are moments where you see big reveals that happen and you kind of feel like oh well that was kind of built into the show like that was always going to be a big moment but then there's also big moments that happen that are just completely off the walls random luck of the die things like literal luck of the die nat 20 nat 1 kind of things that happen see and this is where we get to the interesting part is that again if you were to take out the dice rolling aspect of it it would really just flow like a very strange tv show correct but it wouldn't be bad it would seem it would seem like the storyline the surprises and all those elements are literally the same thing like if if sabrina the teenage witch as an example of a show were to somehow feature a table of people at every once in a while and a dm or a gm or whatever started reading off the description of the area sabrina's walking into and somebody was to roll a fumble like, and that same equivalent action would have taken place in the episode. Like, would that make it a better show or a worse show? You know, in much in the same regard, if... Well, if, I mean, if the... it is a perfect show already, and I, I'm, I'm not going to start plugging things here, but <laughs> hey, if you've got a couple afternoons free, it's right there on Netflix. All right, well, I'm, I'm saying this is your one plug for the show, so if you pull, try to plug it later, I will, <laughs> I will yell over you. Um, but, but my point still I'm trying to make is that... Um, would the uh, the the video series that you watch like would they be made any worse if nobody rolled dice? 
And that's where it gets to the interesting part because I personally feel like they would all become worse. It would start to feel Absolutely. like really shitty fantasy writing. And it's yeah. like, then why is that the most exciting part that people are playing at the table? Is that the part, is that the reason why people feel so like kind of negative towards those video series? You know, all these grumpy neckbeard having incels in their basements that get mad. Like, is that why they're upset? Because it doesn't feel like organic mechanical role playing. And thus it's like this weird, like, it's kind of like I'm thinking about not to plug Burger King here, but they got that Impossible Whopper out. It's like people get so weirded out about eating meat substitute because it tastes kind of like meat. It has a texture similar to meat, but it's not. And I think because it's similar enough, it's like that Uncanny Valley. And I think people might feel that way about a game like D&D in a video series format where like it looks real, it feels real, but like once you have it rolling around in your mouth, you start to notice like, this doesn't feel as real as it does when I do it. You know what I mean? This doesn't feel as real as it does at my table, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why for me I don't like it is because these little inconsistencies with rules or these little weird things that they do to house rule that I like, it kind of throws me off a little bit. It turns me off a little bit from the, uh, from the feel of it. But I don't know. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that's really the case too? That it's really like a matter of mechanics that pull people into it? Yeah, I'm going to... I'd say, I don't think anybody watches or listens to live play stuff for the mechanics. Actually, that's not true. Uh, my friend uh, Wesley listens to um, uh, or watches a live play show, and I don't remember the name of it, but they are very heavily invested mechanic-wise into the actual rules and way things function in... Um, D and D. I remember specifically one episode where they are trapped, or they're caught and kept in a dungeon, and the um, wizard of the group, or a spellcaster, I'm not sure if it was a wizard, actually has to like scrounge around for spell components. He can't even cast like the most basic of cantrips if they have a component that he doesn't have on him after he's been stripped of everything but the clothes on his back. And I think. That was a very interesting way to look at it because I thought, I don't think I'd ever want to play in a scenario like that unless I knew it was coming. But at the same time, it is interesting to watch them kind of like have to do investigation checks in every room to find spider webs or a mm -hmm. loose piece of uh, feather or something like that to cast one of their spells. So I'd say even if you are a person who very much appreciates the mechanical aspects of a good game of Dungeons and Dragons, you will find a live play out there or a podcast that kind of will back that up and follow those rules. Sure. And I almost want to say that there's probably something to be said about there being like a continuum of of one side being completely and utterly story based to the point that people barely ever have to roll dice or people barely ever follow rules or it's all so homebrewed that it wouldn't really look like D&D &D to somebody who knew the books. And, and then I'd on the say other side would be on the Taz end of the spectrum whereas the first season the uh, Taz the Adventure Zone okay. um I was actually going to bring that up as Yeah, the example. balance arc would yeah. definitely fall in that group which is why i stopped listening to it like a few episodes in because i got to that point and i was like this just they're slapping the name D, D on here when it's not D, D. like there comes a point where you lack rules enough that you just ask the question like why aren't you just playing a different system right like at that point are you just carrying around the name D, &D as a selling point which so 
you know, in the spirit of empathizing with the people that I said earlier that I couldn't stand, like, I can see why people might feel, I don't know, sort of annoyed that, like, these shows are so popular and pull in such a fan base, yet they manage to, like, bastardize the rules or, like, put it off as, it, put it on as if, like, that's how the game is to be played, when in reality, like, that's not D&D. I can see why people would get so mad about it, because it almost feels like somebody's, I don't know, just, I don't know, portraying the game in, a, in an incorrect light, and everybody can see it except for the people who are super into it, you know? And I guess to those people, I'd say, do you enjoy watching those real lawyers react to Law & Order or those real doctors react to Grey's Anatomy? Right. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, you have to realize that these people are putting on a performance. Yeah, I mean, I compare it to uh, reality TV. Yeah. Where it's like, I wouldn't want to watch the actual scenarios. Producers know I wouldn't want to watch those actual scenarios, so they go in there and they fluff it up and they make it more explosive. People don't want to watch Critical Role or, or you know, listen to the Adventure Zone or anything like that if people aren't going to be serving up juicy things, if they're not going to be right. kind of explosive and providing a show that really pulls you in with voice acting and professionals and whatnot. Like, it's a show. It's literally a show. I know, like, show is, duh, what it is, but I'm talking, like, uppercase S. Like, they're putting on a performance for people. So what would you expect from them? To behave the same way that you and your Mountain Dew swollen incel friends in your basement play? Like, nobody would want to watch that. Right. Like, imagine if the last game that you played, you had to listen to the entirety of it as a podcast, front to back, the whole thing. You'd probably be bored fucking stiff, and you played it, you know? But, like, that's the thing, because you did not make it in order to be perceived that way, you know? And so, I guess now it brings us to a point of personal taste and whatnot, talking about those incel jerks. But I want to bring it home, and I want to ask the question, is this good for the hobby? You know, with all of these people, like, I, like I go on Twitter, and sometimes I'm amazed by how many people are tweeting about D&D, yet nobody's tweeting about the game. They're just tweeting about, you know, which podcast they're listening to or which video series or what so-and-so did on such-and-such. -such. But what's really exciting about it is seeing how, like, pumped people are about things like that. Like, knowing people have drawn, uh, drawn up so much fan art or, like, sent in so many cool things to their favorite players and their favorite characters, it almost borders on being, like, sports teams kind of, like, madness where people just... Like, I don't want to say fan worship, but, like, they're their biggest fans. Like, you know what I mean? Matt Mercer has a fan base. Like, that just... I know that that's, like, it kind of done now because we live in this reality. But, like, think about that. Imagine telling somebody in 1979 that some year, sometime in the future, millions of people will tune in to watch one person's D&D game. Like, that is just mind-blowing. So, am I mad that that's the primary source of most D&D players or, like, where they get their interest to play? Like, No. I mean, I, I, again, when I started when I was 13 years old, I'm playing with my younger cousin and my, my, uh, my little sister, and it's like, I mean, I got into it some weird way that somehow I got interested in playing the game, so I just, I don't know, I'm glad that people are being let in at a time where it's so inclusive and when people are so welcomed into the hobby, because if it really just is a passing fad and this whole it's cool to be a nerd thing is something that's just a 2010s kind of thing, Big Bang Theory era, like, it's what people are into now... Then when it's over, I mean, all those wannabe fans will fade away from D&D. And all those neckbeards out there who are all upset can be happy again. But I'm kind of super happy that the edition played out this way. Because, I mean, 
there are more people playing the game now than ever before. And that's awesome. We have so much content. We have so many different mediums that it comes from. All these different video games, books, comics, again, podcasts and video series. Like there are literal bars and restaurants dedicated to D&D themed menus, you know? Like that's intense. And so I'm not mad about it. I just recognize that not everything that comes out will be for me. And I'm cool with that. It kind of took a little bit for me to be cool with it because I still remember when people were all about 5th edition and all these noobs were coming out of the woodworks and talking about D&D like they knew anything about it. And it, it took me a second to recognize that, like, I don't know, I was being a bit of a neckbeard myself and acting all like, what do they know about D&D? They ain't real players. They're changing my hobby. But then, like, I don't know, there comes a point that you hear somebody who's more of that kind of person than you and it just changes your whole mentality because you listen to somebody else's podcast where they rant about inclusiveness in the hobby and you just think to yourself, yo, fuck that. I don't want to sound like that guy. I want nothing to be like that guy. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Here we are. I mean, are you excited that that's how people are getting to the hobby, Ryan? Would you say that that's kind of how you got into it? I know you were invited to games, but like, is that what really sunk you into the hobby? Uh, no, actually, I'd say... Or is I, this just me, like, asking you to stroke? I'm just like, so who brought you into this world, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had always had a passing interest in it, but could never really lock a group down, and then it just never happened until I got invited to play with Dan and all of them. Um, but I sort of discovered all this stuff afterwards. I knew it existed, but I kind of just thought to myself... It's not really something I want to listen to. I don't want to listen to other people play a game that I haven't actually gotten to enjoy or really understand. So I, I think getting into the whole podcasting, live play kind of stuff afterwards helped me appreciate the game I have and that I'm playing even more, if anything. Just because it's like, wow, I mean they can do all this stuff and have all these fun beats and do all this cool stuff but like at the same time i'm playing that same game there's nothing stopping me or anyone at my table from experiencing these moments and i have and i, I felt very strongly and deeply uh in the games that we've played about my character and the decisions i make and stuff like that so it didn't bring me in but at the same time it helped me enjoy and really just yeah solidify my love of the game and everything it can do all of the different aspects of it and so i guess to end the episode i'm gonna end it on something more of a little bit of like a serious note uh than usual and i'm kind of okay with that because as much as we try to play this off pretty lighthearted, there are still a lot of people in the hobby who aren't very kind to other people uh and aren't really welcoming to other people into the hobby so I will say this much. The most common thing that I hear from people who are very defensive of the hobby and try to keep other people out of it, the biggest thing they always say is that when they were growing up, they didn't have friends. They grew up and they were bullied and they weren't treated fairly just for stupid things that happened to them when they were kids. And that D&D was, you know, their place they could go to. It was their group of friends. It was the place that let them feel greater than themselves. And so I look to those people who tell me that story, and I say, in all honesty and kindness, do you not see 
that the same people you are trying to block out for quote unquote political means or, or, or their, their political uh, agenda, agenda that they have, their hyper liberalism, are you so smug that you can't notice that the same people who suffer from that same feeling of being left out and feeling like nobody likes them and feeling like they have nowhere to turn to, are you really going to be so smug as to say that person is not in the exact same situation you were or are in? You know? I mean, not to call for humility on a podcast called The Young Grognard, but, like, honestly, it's a game to be enjoyed. So I'm going to end on the last note and say enjoy your game, appreciate your players, players, appreciate your DMs, have a good night. Ryan, you have anything you want to plug? Oh. Yeah, I didn't think so. Goodbye, everybody. No. Uh, the song that we played during the commercial in the middle was the song Wallpaper by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>